Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the Events Fundraising Group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon Events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah. You're okay. listening to the Do More Good podcast. Right, here we are, James. Episode number 81 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Kenneth, it's big Monday night in South London. I've got lem sip <laughs> and I've got a negative lateral flow test, which I just did. Keep showing up negative. I'm going to keep going. I'm going for that positive. And I've got a beer. So I'm all set, mate. How about you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. And you've got a lovely peach uh, top oh, on there that you're wearing. This is the second meeting in a row that I'm going to be mocked for this very fashionable jumper. It's yes. lovely. It's lovely. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm just in the middle of half term week off at the moment. So what have I been doing today? Chasing children around and ferrying them left, right and centre. But I'm good. Looking forward to this conversation. It's good to be back on the back on the tracks isn't it and rolling with this again it is it is we've got a busy busy week of recording but just say it quietly i think this will be the best one oh we'll see no pressure no pressure no pressure Uh, yeah, I want to know your your favourite conference story though. Just oh, before we get going, oh, theme. good good little theme there. I like that favourite conference story. Oh, so many conferences. They're a little bit of a blur, aren't they? Conferences used to be a little bit of a blur because it was so busy. I think I remember one where I turned up and I it was actually one of my early ones. Turned up as as a delegate, picked up my name badge, and of course I was called Kevin Foreman <laughs> instead of Kenneth foreman and so i had to wear that proudly for the rest of the uh, conference but you know got quite used to the word kevin and then obviously a few of my colleagues saw that i was called kevin and the name stuck yeah what about you yeah that's gonna stick isn't it that's gonna <laughs> stick for the next hour as well my favorite one was somewhere i used to work and it happened just before i started and they did a big conference thing and they all turned up and there was it was like in a fancy hotel and then a cloakroom so everybody put stuff in the cloakroom and then at the end of the day they went out for drinks a young member of staff overdid it a little bit with the drinks and then went to the cloakroom collected their stuff and left as the chief executive went to the cloakroom turns out the two of them had exactly the same handbag and she picked up a bag in it and it wasn't hers but the story gets better because the next day the girl who'd stolen the stolen the chief executive's handbag didn't bring it back in the next day and they're like where's the bag why have you not brought the bag can you please bring the bag in tomorrow it had this was back in the days of kind of oyster cards and things so it actually it was a bit of a pain and i don't know house keys or whatever and then the next day the sheepishly young lady brought in the bag that had been hastily dry cleaned because she had thrown it up in the chief exec's bag on the tube on the way home. <laughs> ouch spectacular. Um, that's great spectacular. great wonderful ah oh, brilliant yeah. And she survived. She survived to tell no, the tale. She, no, she didn't. She she left the organisation. Oh, did she? Swiftly after that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll have no thrown up in uh, handbags today, and we'll, we'll we'll crack on with the show. So, James, shall I jump in with the intro? You go for it. 
Okay, so wow, what, what a couple of guests we've got for you today. If you haven't come across either of today's guests and you work as a fundraiser, then I'm not sure where you've been. As well-established fundraising consultants with a combined 30 years experience, they have helped raise millions for good causes and support thousands of fundraisers to be better humans through their training and conference sessions. When they aren't helping charities and individuals with their fundraising, they both co-founded the now well-established online learning community, Fundraising Everywhere, in early 2019 to address the lack of formal training opportunities for fundraisers. With some unique approaches, such as pay-what-you-can entry, paying all speakers, and a clear stance on promoting a diverse range of speakers and thought, they have appealed and helped thousands in the charity sector to learn, develop, and thrive. And the platform and its community has gone on from strength to strength, and with Everywhere Plus, they are also helping support organisations to organise, run, and deliver their own virtual events. So it's been brilliant to see their continued success and how much everyone loves the product and the people behind it. So we were really excited when they said they'd join us for a podcast. And it's Nikki Bell and Simon Scriber from Fundraising Everywhere. How are you doing, guys? Thank you, Kevin. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> it was really nice. I was just thinking, who wrote that? Did you write that, Nikki? I didn't write that. No, the, the lads do. Wow. They lovely. do. Oh, yeah, because this is your first podcast. I think this is my eighth one. <laughs> well, not quite. Third time. We actually went through the archives and calculated that it's your third time. And the first one was one of the loudest ever experiences we had at a podcast. Can you remember it was a bar near Liverpool Street when we were recording and, and a Hindu came in at the same time as we were recording and clinking glasses and popping um, popping champagne. So, yeah, we can't recreate that today, but two years oh, ago. I know. And it's quite nice actually chatting to you and not having to yell because I remember after that I lost my voice. But, yeah, it's nice to it's nice to be back. Thank you for having me back. No, no Two, worries. Three or four members of that Hindu threw up in a bag, maybe their chief executive's bag, <laughs> by the end of that night. It was quite a heavy one for them, wasn't it? It was only about three o'clock in the afternoon. They were going for it. It was. It was. So we reflect back two years ago, Nikki. A lot's happened in that time. We'll, we'll start with you. It must have been quite a whirlwind. How has it been? It's been hectic and it's been brilliant. So for your listeners who don't know, Fundraising Everywhere and Everywhere Plus were actually created in 2019, so pre-pandemic. So we wanted to bring accessible and equitable learning to fundraisers everywhere. And virtual was a great way to do that because then there were no barriers to attending in terms of cost and travel, no throwing up in handbags on the way home. Are we going to keep talking about that? Through yeah, the, that's going to run throughout. It's going to keep yeah. coming back, coming back. And then obviously when the pandemic hit, um, there was just this rush for everybody to catch up to where we were. So we were in a really good place at that time. But now, obviously, we've just been thinking about how we can take it to the next level, what we can do to put our attendees now fundraisers now community first and I thought it was interesting actually Kenneth when you said about a unique approach to was paying speakers and thinking about being you know equitable and fair and thinking about EDI because that's something that we're really passionate about and that we've thought about since day one and it's actually that something that we want to push so that it isn't unique um, and that it's something that all event organizers in the charity sector and teams are thinking about and doing so that's everything that we've been up to, I guess, in, in, in the last two years and, and where it's come from. But yeah, it's been it's been good and it's been mm. incredibly busy. We're going to get on to your, your plans for the future and how you stay ahead. And we're going to touch on your kind of Nostradamus-like skills for predicting the future back in 2019. But Simon, how, how has the last couple of years been for you? Yeah, it's been pretty exhausting, but wild, like really. I mean, yeah, when you were reading that, reading the introduction, 
felt actually really proud because you kind of like you never really stop and take a look at, at what it is and and some of the things you said there about paying speakers and and being equitable and just some of the changes it's like oh yeah actually I am really proud of that you know we have put a lot of work into it and it's nice that some people have have, have really benefited from it you know it really appeals to some people so yeah it's been it's been tiring but I don't think I'd change anything I mean I wish we had wish we had more hands uh helping us but yeah it's been I can't really complain it's been it's fantastic <laughs> despite the world going on it's been yeah the business has been good because as Nikki says you're not just doing that for your events the stuff that you're doing that's having a knock-on effect that's becoming the norm that's quite nice isn't it you're kind of key influences across the, the sector and beyond it's been great and obviously we host a lot of third party events on our everywhere plus platform so when they're curating events it's something that we can feed into so we're not just a virtual event platform where you'll rock up and host it you know our team get involved and you also get a bit of consultancy there so I'd like to think that we do influence positive change by pushing that out quite a lot of hosts on our platform start contacting us and saying how do you get started paying with speakers how can I budget that properly Uh, and there's a great guy called Tim who works for Neon Tech in America and he actually modeled a lot of the conference that they ran uh, in October around what we do with our EDI goals. And we're going to be collaborating on something more formal, hopefully at the beginning of next year, so that we can start to measure the progress for events in, in the third sector. So, yeah, we have been influencing things positively, which is fab. Being influenced, I think, like we haven't, like, I don't think we necessarily think of ourselves out there in front all the time because a lot of it is learning from other people isn't it and being very open for collaboration and we've had some really great partners over the last couple of years and people wanting to work with us you know not everyone wants to work with us but when they do it's like something really amazing happens like we grow from it and learn from it and they grow and learn from it and um and I think that's what what's been really cool about what we've done is just like the people who've come into the mix that maybe we wouldn't have had an opportunity to do stuff with before and and the outcome has just been everyone gains everyone benefits from it which is great yeah no it's been really great to see from from the outside but just before we get into a little bit more about fundraising everywhere and where the idea came from and, and the plans for the future we want to just go back a little bit about about you two for for people listening that, that don't know your kind of background or, or where you came from or your journey into the sector simon can you tell us about how you how you got into the world of fundraising? I can, yeah. Um, I've always feel like people are sick of this, but I'll, I'll say I'll do the short version, which is I started as a street fundraiser. Uh, you might know them as a chugger, which has become a, a frowned upon phrase, but I actually don't really mind it. I needed a job in Australia about 18 years ago, and I saw this job that you could be a paid fundraiser, and that was news to me. I thought if you worked in the charity sector, you couldn't be paid. And so I got the job and it was life changing. It was like really difficult job, but lots of learning. And it just opened this whole fundraising charity world. So since then, I've been working mainly agency side as a freelance fundraising consultant. I've also worked in-house in in a smaller charity. And through all of that, you know, one of the things I've liked is just kind of dabbling in new things and seeing, you know, trying things that most of the time don't take off or just disappear into the into the nether but then when I met Nikki and we started setting this stuff up it was another thing that was supposed to just be a little tester project and see what the response was and it just kind of exploded so yeah that's the that's the really short version but there's obviously been lots of ups and downs 
but I, I am still, even though I fundraise less and less now, and it's much more about the virtual events and training other people, I still consider myself a proud fundraiser. Hashtag proud oh. fundraiser. Nice. We spoke to Nikki before about how all the best fundraisers come through from street fundraising. They all started out as, as chuggers. Kenneth, in his bloodhound fashion, has uncovered a job at a sweet factory. I reckon it might have something to do with that instead. Is that right? It's from your LinkedIn page. Who, me? Yeah. It's definitely on there. Well, what did I say? I worked in a sweet factory. A sweet factory? <laughs> I, worked I worked in a wine bottling factory and I worked on a chicken farm. Oh, right. We're going to have to I might have worked, worked in a sweet factory. I worked in news agents. I worked in a toy store. I worked in a lot of terrible jobs. Maybe it was a toy store. Maybe. But you know what? You could actually, I could actually look it up and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I did work in a sweet store. And I'm just because <laughs> I, I did work it out once. I had, I think I had 40 jobs before I discovered fundraising. Wow. And it was like it kind of brought all these things because I, I studied maths in college. I used to be an accountant and then a lot of sales jobs and things like that. And then fundraising kind of brought it all together, but just with but ethically, <laughs> like <laughs> I was no longer making loads of money for just some some rich person. Haribo. Yeah. Maybe it was the toy, the toy shop and rather than the sweet factory. Maybe I just put the two two together. Yeah. Nikki, th- those who didn't who didn't hear you on a, a previous episode. Your background's mostly community fundraising, but you started off at a local hospice. Was that your journey in or? Uh, Kind of. So I was on the corporate side first. So I was part of a CSR team for Tesco Bank. That was right. Uh, Did a bit of like community stuff on that side and fundraising for local children's charities and then applied for a role at the local hospice, St. Oswald's. It took me three failed interviews to actually get into the charity sector. And so I was pretty determined that took me a year. And then when I was in, I did a a blend of jobs. So they made this role for me so that I could use the skills that I'd had uh, previously and and bring them across. So I did telephone fundraising and community fundraising and then moved on to manage the individual giving team there, which involved, as you can imagine, at a small hospice, actually going out and knocking on doors and doing like all the phone calls and stuff yourself. And then went to the British Heart Foundation and took up community fundraising roles there I project managed their brand refresh and um, from their fight for every heartbeat to beat heartbreak forever, which was a fab role, which helped me get more experience across all of the other departments and, and what was going on there. Did a bit of consultancy for myself and for an agency. And then, yeah, when, when me and Simon were both independent consultants, we were thinking, I think we got rejected, didn't we, um, from a conference. And that got us talking about us kind of hosting our own rejects conference as a joke. <laughs> And then, um, (laughs) which there would be many, uh, many speakers, I'm sure, coming in on that. But then when we started talking about it seriously, we were like, well, what barriers are in place to people coming to these conferences and the time and the money? And, you know, sometimes support from your team to actually come to training came into it. So then we thought, well, how can we remove it? Simon, I think, had been doing uh, streaming through YouTube and stuff, trying to take off as a YouTube influencer for about seven years. <laughs> well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it quite like that, but okay. <laughs> That's exactly how you put it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we blended those together. And, and like he said at the beginning, you know, it was supposed to be this one-off thing. I, like our first conference was 12 hours long because we were like, well, accessible needs to be time as well. So we were like, let's do this 12-hour thing, which we did and we would never do again. Um, Although, again, Simon wanted that to be 24 hours the second time. um, And I put my foot down on that. And then, yeah, just kind of snowball from there. People wanted it. There was more suggestions. There was more requests for it. So we just kept doing it. And now 
there's events every month uh, we've got a membership like a little community that support each other and that we work with on a, on a monthly basis and you know do the everywhere plus stuff for other people so it just keeps growing and sometimes it's hard because often it's going really fast and you kind of have to keep thinking of what's coming next but what I'm really keen for us to do is just keep thinking about that original purpose uh, of what it was created for and let that lead us it's that kind of philosophy a bit like how Simon talked about a second ago and you saying you had three attempts at getting into the charity mm. sector like coming up with ideas trying them uh seeing what sticks just getting them out there and seeing what works does that is that kind of apply to how you guys work oh absolutely and I don't think it's even conscious because I mean even from for my work like we had the donor love celebration like I've done pizza for losers there's little things that I've done on my own which have had a little impact but just never really taken off as well as fundraising everywhere and everywhere plus have yeah I I definitely think that we and the team as well because it's not just me and Simon we do have a fab team uh, of of people who who've helped us get to this point we've all just got that little knack for thinking about well how can we how can we improve this how can we do more like what other kind of services and products can we bring in to improve it Um, and it's just there and even though we are a fully remote team there is quite a lot of creative bouncing that we do off each other on a regular basis and I'd like to think that we all support each other, that, you know, everyone feels comfortable sharing those ideas and thinking, well, yes, and what can we do to improve that? Or yes, and rather than, you know, no. Although I do say no to some ideas. There's hope for us yet, Kevin. We'll just keep throwing it at the wall and one of them's going to, one of these episodes, we're going to get that, that magic fourth but subscriber. You know what? The biggest learning I think that we've had from this is not waiting until something is perfect before you put it out there. Just put it out. What was that? What are you going to say? Yeah, you just start. Ah, Amazing (laughs) soundbite. Like you just put it out there and then you improve it as you go with input from the people who it's for. And I think Mm. that's something that we do really well that other organizations in the sector do not do. Because you remember when we started talking about it, the first fundraising everywhere, we were talking to a few people and quite a lot of people, the first thing they said to us was like, oh yeah we we've been planning to do that or we've been meaning to do that and it's kind of like okay yeah and and you can still do it it can still work for others to do it and things like that but I think that was one of the things that impressed me with Nikki when I first met her and all of our team it's like we just kind of do it you know Mm. we just kind of launch it and then kind of work out the last final bits you know we have a bit of a plan in place but like Nikki said it's like if there's things go wrong and if we ever do something that doesn't have a typo on it, I'll be amazed. But it's like, you know, it's just about doing it. It doesn't have to be 100% perfect or flawless, but it just needs to be done. It's a good lesson, I think, that a lot of fundraisers can take as well, isn't it? I mean, particularly in larger organisations where you have to have every box ticked before you try mm-hmm. something. And I mean, it feels like years that we've been talking about innovation in, in charities, but still, I'm sure it, it stifles quite a lot when people have these ideas, but just don't give them the freedom to actually give something a try right there's so much and I think we've both found that frustrating in working in charities or with charities is the process Mm. behind it and the approval process and I've worked with organizations where every decision had to go up like a chain of five people and it's like no wonder stuff is slow and no wonder stuff is taking time you should see the sign-off process at the do more good podcast my god (laughs) (laughs) jesus yeah I think one of the things that really helps with both of you is that is your passion for the sector that really comes through you both seem really engaged, really enthusiastic about new ideas. It like that, That's got to help. You're really properly engaged with things that are, that are going on. 
I think it's because we get it you know we're creating events and experiences for fundraisers and we've been there and Mm. we've done that and you know we totally feel their pain we understand about the sign-off processes we understand about the budget restraints you know we understand the pressures of having these targets that are often unrealistic that they're never going to reach so I'd like to think that one of the things that people find in the fundraising everywhere community is just a bit of themselves, but a bit of a comfort to be themselves and have a safe space to talk about all this stuff. And we're passionate about positively changing the sector and not just complaining about the things that aren't working. You know, we want to positively contribute to these things and share from our experience ways to change that. And we can do that through our community that then filter off and take that off into their own teams. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great, a great little kind of uh, crew to to be involved with and yeah I'd, I'd like to think that they think feel like we match their positivity and <laughs> I'm sure you do and I just want to go back a bit I mean you both spoke a little bit about your backgrounds and then coming into the sector and we like to try and positively show the charity sector and the diverse people in it through the podcast and all the people that are trying to kind of change makers out there trying to do all sorts of amazing things but I just thought what would your guys advice be for people coming into the sector maybe someone listening to this would love to do something that kind of had a positive social impact but maybe is, is struggling to kind of get that breakthrough whether you'd have any advice for that person I mean I'm, I'm not sure if, if I'm the best person to be giving advice but I think you know a big part of it is the people around us have, have made everything we've done work everything I've learned about fundraising yes I go to a lot of conferences and I've read a stuff but everything I've learned from fundraisers is from other fundraisers being really generous I mean, even you two, you know, you've both spoken on events. Kenneth, you said yes to speaking on the first event we did and you didn't know anything about me really or or, or what we were doing or anything. He still doesn't. He thought you were still doesn't. Yeah, he just says yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like, I, I think like the support from other people is amazing. You know, one of the things I said on Twitter recently was if you have an idea or there's something you want to do, if you just put it out there, I don't believe that people steal your ideas. You know, they might do something with them, but I think people want to help you succeed. When I've seen people put out half-baked ideas or like, like a good example is like Wayne Murray, when he he said he wanted to do Charity Island Discs. I was just like, let me help with the bits you can't do. And then it happened, do you know? And I think if he had kept that idea inside himself, don't know how long it would have took to go around to it. And it's the same with me. It's like when I wanted to do stuff, Nikki is my usually my first person I talk to and she's so encouraging and supportive but it's the same with our team it's the same with peers around us and so I think it's the same thing it's like you just don't keep it to yourself start talking to other people in the sector and start putting it out there and people will help you along they'll point you in the right direction or point you towards the right person or or they might not but at least it gains momentum for me that's it it's like don't wait until you necessarily feel ready or feel perfect. It's like just start putting it out there and start talking to people and it'll start to take shape as it as it grows naturally. Are you guys like that in other areas of, of your life? Like when I was, I'm going to say something like eight, I released a newspaper at my primary school called James's Jolly Newspaper. Yeah. And it was all the gossip from around the playground. It was just in one handy A4 sheet. There's a long story. It ended up getting shut down because I told everyone what Joanne's mum's birthday was. Anyway... It, uh, kids would like these days would describe it as extra and they always do things to the nth degree do you do that in other areas of your life are you like that around kind of birthday parties you go all in on stuff I, I think in very different ways and, and Nikki will, will speak for herself but she goes all in in a very professional way whereas James I'm like you I did like a newspaper for my family when I was like yeah. eight and it got shut down because of a 
potentially false story about my sister in it. Um, but but I, I would be very much of the mindset. It's, I love making newspapers. I love making random videos. I love yeah, setting stuff yeah. up. I love learning how to set it up yes. and doing it. Like Keep just doing you don't it. know how to do it, just doesn't, that's, that's not a barrier. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just go and I, learn. The I love it. I love is, it. And yeah. the first iteration is crap and then it gets better yeah. as you find it. Yeah. So I think, I think I would be. I mean, where I struggle is I don't, is consistency. And that's like a big mm. flaw that I've identified. And I try and surround myself with people who are a bit more consistent. Is that where Nikki comes in? A little, but I'd like to think of Simon's ideas as clouds. And there's so many of them and they're so messy and they're like way up there. And I, I'd like to think what I do is I kind of grab a few of them, like shape them and bring them down into something a bit more that can be managed. Uh, and like he said, add a bit of professionalism to it we've had to recruit a team of people who can then actually keep doing it and follow it through because both me and Simon get really excited about new ideas. We know where we're going and we know how to get there and we know how to set it up. But once it's done, we're like, right, what next? So that's why we've had to bring like Alex and, and Fiona and, and Miko and Maeve into the team because they're the ones that actually then have the skills and the focus to actually be like, right, let's make a spreadsheet. Let's track this. Let's keep a record. And we absolutely love them for that. Yeah. And do you see yourselves as entrepreneurs? Yes. No. Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> I do. I think it's a confidence to come down and, and say that because entrepreneur sounds like this big, scary word and you feel mm. like you have to have achieved X, Y, and Z to do it. Mm. I would definitely class myself as, as an entrepreneur. Interested why you don't, Simon? I don't know. I think it's just one of these words which I'm adverse to. And I mean, I guess I'd say like, if I am, then everyone is. You know, everyone has amazing ideas inside them and stuff they want to do. And, and when you drill down to it, I would say maybe I am an entrepreneur is someone who actually kind of takes that step to do it, even if they're not getting the support from other people. You know, we all need to have someone telling us it's a good idea and to take the next step. But I guess an entrepreneur is you take the next step anyway, even if people aren't telling you. Well, no, I don't think there's one way to be an entrepreneur. I think it's about knowing how to improve things and doing it, but also knowing what gaps you have in your own skills and abilities and then finding and working with the people that can match that because entrepreneurship was that even a word it's not about doing it yourself is it it's about collaboration and it's about finding what works and then making it happen so I guess it depends on what your definition is really yeah maybe I need to google it I'm glad you said there are different ways of approaching it because one of the things there's a kind of negative connotations towards entrepreneurialism I think we've now coined that as a new phrase is around that kind of hustle culture and work until three o'clock in the morning and then back up at four to keep it going how do you as owners of that business stop yourself from doing that or do you not are you always working do you know what I have this conversation quite a lot I've got a fab mentor Keith um, and I was talking to him about feeling guilty that I don't work multiple evenings or weekends because when it comes to being an entrepreneur that's the kind of mindset or approach that people say is the way to do it and I don't because I have kids and that's a priority for me as well. And I'm actually quite proud of the fact that I've been able to do what we have within working hours and it's not been easy and it does take a lot of discipline. It's not can a case. Yeah, it, it can be, but I haven't done it on my own either. Do you know, for anyone listening, that's like, oh yeah, I have childcare that lives nearby. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my, my little boy's dad is a teacher. So he obviously gets holidays off as well. So I am massively like privileged in, in those areas as well to be able to, to do that. And not to say that I don't whip out the laptop sometimes. It's hard because sometimes my creative time is, you know, really early in the morning when I'm having to do like the school rushing stuff, but I've just gotten better at noting stuff down and then coming back to it later. But 
you know, sometimes I do whip out my laptop on the weekend, but not not all of the time. Simon, you logging up at half past five? It's very hard. No, I mean, me and Nikki work on completely different time zones. I get started a bit later. I'm get I'm getting better, but I used to work a lot of evenings or even in the middle of the night and things like that. But I really struggle. And and even like this Saturday just gone was one of the first days off I've I've had in in months. And even when I have my son, I have my son half the time. Even when I have my son, I do find myself like checking up and stuff and just keeping stuff ticking over. And I'm really, really trying to get to a place where I can actually step back a bit and close up. But I've never been very good at that. And I mean, Nikki always amazes me that she can actually take a holiday and not check her email. And I just can't even fathom how one does that. But it's something I'm trying to trying to do. It's hard. And Nikki touched on it a moment ago about having a mentor. I'm just interested as, as business owners now, as you just talked about, you've got a team now, you've got responsibilities, you know, I'm sure lots more stresses and strains than maybe you would if you were employed. How do you both look at becoming the best boss, becoming the best business owner, making sure that you're improving and, and pushing on? Simon, would you? Yeah, I mean, and there's a concept I love, which I don't think he invented it, but he definitely introduced me to it. Paul, Paul Nazareth is a Canadian fundraiser and he talks about your personal board of directors, which I love that it's not like necessarily one mentor. There's this group of people who between them, they kind of give you that emotional, spiritual, professional fulfillment you need to, to turn to when you're, when you're not hundred percent sure. And I do, I feel like I have that. I have this handful of people who I know each of them in a specific area can step in and really help me. And, and there's that, but I, I think, you know, there's still lots that I'm trying to work on to become, to become a better man in terms of trying to be more focused and trying to be more productive. And, you know, there's areas of myself I really want to develop, but I just, I struggle to get into it, but I'm, I'm trying. And I think I, I learn loads from our team, you know, beyond Nikki, the fundraising everywhere team, even like our new marketing person, Alex, She's teaching me about sprints, which I don't know what that is. And so things like that, I'm trying really hard to like be as good as the people who surround me. Yeah. There's these people who just, they feed me when I need it. And I just go to them and bounce my stresses off them. And they always make me feel better about it. Jimbo is off at the bar, which makes a change, and means I can tell you about the website, domoregood.uk. There you'll find profiles, blog posts, previous episodes, and a link to the newsletter if you fancy some VIP content in your inbox. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at domoregoodpod, plus you can find us on LinkedIn. We've even started a TikTok. Anyway, he's on his way back. Hang on a minute, are they shandies? So talking about improvements that you were hoping to make, Bring us back to, to fundraising everywhere. Nikki talked about Reject Fest, which I feel like is a name that, you know, should be resurrected. Yes. Chuck that one back That's out there. Write that one down. Yeah. Uh, what were the kind of problems that you saw in the conference world that you guys were trying to solve? Kenneth talked a little bit about price. Mm. Yeah. So just for a bit of context as well, I was a volunteer on the Chartered Institute of Fundraising's National Convention Board. Uh, so I have a few years of experience there. And I also organised their first two Northeast fundraising conferences. And then obviously I've done the Pizza for Losers ones as well. So there is a bit of event management experience there. And Simon, you were on the board. For- I was the Irish ambassador for IFC for Resource Alliance, uh, which I love. And I know you two love it as well. I'm a big yeah. fan of IFC. Do you get a special lanyard if you're the ambassador? 
like a limo that just appears and you get little flags on the front. So I think I, I think I got yeah, a different colour. I think I did definitely yeah. got a different colour on my lanyard and I was very proud Bloody of that. I do love a very lanyard. Just yeah. a little shout out as well, since we've mentioned them in the time and that this podcast will go out for people to check out their springboard campaign and support the Resource Alliance where they can. It's just a little plug and a little shout out for our friends at Resource Alliance for that. But also like with the background that we've had that we've mentioned, um, we've both spoken at events and that being paid. Uh, and I can tell you that the gas board do not accept exposure. <laughs> and when the bill comes in, like they want hard cash. So that was one of it when, when it came through. I mean, for me, the main thing was around attendance. You know, at, at the time when we were talking about this, my the Ben uh, was still quite young. So taking time away to go to conferences was hard. You know, you have to stay over and then there's the cost that comes with that. I was seeing people buying tickets to go to a conference and having to leave at two o'clock to do the school run. That was a big thing for me. And the cost, you know, you're paying to be a member in some places and then you're still having to pay you know multiples of hundreds of pounds to attend on top of the other things so that was a, a a big thing for me but also like those people that are there there's no backing for them to to give them the time and space to put together you know quality training if they're not being paid and it really limits the people who are able to speak at it to the people who can afford to take time away or you know they have a team that supports that so those were the big things for, for me and accessibility. You know, I mean, as much as you can make a pick a venue that's accessible, how easy is it for people to move around that? Are you making adjustments for people that have other accessibility needs? You know, if you have sight loss or hearing loss and things like that. And that's why virtual felt like the best medium, because we could factor those things in and, and support people. But Simon, have I missed any? I would double down on what you're saying around for us, both as parents, you know, the idea of I, like I've never been to a morning networking thing or a morning event because I just I don't understand how anyone could possibly get to one of those. Mm. So to see things like that and think, OK, there's this whole section of fundraisers, you know, 99 percent of charities out there are not coming to these big training events because they're too far away. They're too expensive. And so it was that general accessibility of how can we get this to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to justify attending these things. But as well, I mean, you kind of you kind of forget. But before COVID, there was the big environmental stuff going on with you know, and Greta Thunberg. Not that as COVID's starting to disappear, but as stuff's coming out of lockdown and cars are back on the road, I think people are talking about it more. And so, you know, that's why we we think this isn't going away. This kind of virtual world. A big part of it is the environmental reason. Nikki and I were sat at a conference two and a half years ago now. And we were looking around that all these fundraisers who'd literally flown in from all over the world to talk about how to address climate change. And it was, okay, there's something, you know, I, I love conferences and I love traveling, but there's something we should be able yeah. to make some steps towards it. You know, like everyone wants their holiday. Everyone wants to get away from their family and things like that, but it shouldn't be the only way that you can access this stuff. And so I think all these factors are still coming into play. COVID was just that kind of, stop gap where everyone had to do virtual yeah. but now it's like all these real reasons are coming back out again those plastic lanyards are still going to be around in 400 years time aren't they biodegradable lanyards now put mine on my lock screen now on my phone so now people are oh. that way but it's not even just looking at what needed to be changed there's other opportunities that have come from it so when we started hosting virtual events for other people them just being amazed at how much more accessible speakers were and these people that they couldn't reach before. And now that it was virtual and that person didn't need to take a full time out of their schedule to come and 
talk or meet or prep or whatever. It was just actually opening up all these possibilities. Mm. We were having charities who look after stroke survivors realizing that actually when we host things virtually our beneficiaries can actually come and access this learning now because they can do it from home and, and, and for much longer so as much as it was about solving the problems that were there it was about highlighting the opportunities that were also available but we just we never leaped into it until we were pushed and f- fundraisers raising more you know because some of the yeah. events that have been hosted on our platform they've raised more than they ever raised in person because more people could attend and you know that's not saying it's always going to be the way you know we we know there's there's a fundraising mix that fundraisers have to find out but I mean one of our American clients who's just booked in to do the event again next year they were struggling to hit a hundred thousand dollars in income on their annual event every year they were trying to hit a hundred thousand dollars and it was like their big hairy goal and then their first virtual event they brought in a hundred thirty thousand dollars Wow. And it was like because people from out of state were suddenly attending this event and mm-hmm. seeing it for the first time. And so that's a big thing we're banging the gong on now is like it's not second best. Mm-hmm. You know, there's benefits to virtual that you don't have with the real world. Both of them have a place in your in your mix. It's been amazing. Since we've been doing virtual, it saved me a fortune. Like you don't know how much <laughs> Kenneth usually drinks on these things. The <laughs> red, red fist fights between the The rounds cost a fortune. I was just going to say though, you, you you're right. I mean, and, and and particularly thinking back to my charity experience of working for a charity that wasn't in London, and we've had, and I think Nikki, we spoke about this two years ago because I think you you travel down from Newcastle and you know you'd come down for an event and you'd have to take a couple of days out of the office. But I didn't. You to go to events when I worked at a charity in Cambridge because they're all in London and certainly with my interaction with charities now with people working from home it's just made made it so much easier and obviously like James just mentioned you know we kind of set a mantra out when we started doing the podcast about always talking to people face to face but then of course COVID came and and we've now had such a better range of guests because we can get people virtually and they can give up half an hour 40 minutes of their time to come and join us but there is something that we I'm sure we'll all agree that we miss about kind of face to face interactions. Can you ever see fundraising everywhere hosting a face to face conference? Uh, I, I, <laughs> the look I, of, for, for listeners, the look of disgust. That's just my resting face. Um, do you know what? I can't see a place for it in what we do, because mm-hmm. if we did that, it would go against everything that we started for, for, which is accessibility. Although, you know, there would be a way to mitigate that by hosting the virtual option. But mm. we genuinely don't really see a need to. There's already so many fantastic in-person conferences out there. So what instead I'd love to do is put that energy into encouraging them to provide virtual options I think that's where I'd much rather spend my my time and passion yeah um, I, I would say never say never I mean we we did actually <laughs> there's a cloud somewhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the word cruise ship comes to mind but no the um I think like we even talked about like a hybrid possibility just to almost show people because because I think one of the problems people think about us is that we're against real life events mm. and we're not against real life events we just think that there always needs to be an accessible or virtual option and there are things you can get out of a a real life event but you've got to be really honest with yourself about what you're trying to get out of it like people Mm. say they don't like virtual because the learning's not as good or they don't like virtual because it's the network is not as good like none of those are true the real reason is because you want to oh oh he's got alcoin 
He said the real reason is, and then it cut off. Well, I, I get what he's saying. You know, we, we, we've we never been against in-person events because when we started pre-COVID, we were actually getting in touch with in-person events and saying, we will support you with your virtual element. Just let us help you reach more people. And there is a definite place for it because there are some things that you have to do in person. You know, there are some meetings that do work better in person. But what we're about is saying, let's do that in person, but let's still make it accessible to other people we're about adding value to that um, and creating more reach yeah no that makes makes a lot of sense simon's back, with back. Us now. we were just saying simon we should have we should have hosted this on fundraising everywhere plus shouldn't we and uh, <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have had these technical issues but look look we appreciate your time and we'll start wrapping it up but we just wanted to touch on the community that you you've built and you know you're helping thousands of people now wanted to understand how you curate your own conferences because you still have a I mean you just get anyone can go onto the website and see what you've got planned how do you go about that creative process of deciding what comes next and and what the plans off the future so we work together as a team and what we've done this year is we've gone out to our community and asked them what they need so they had a vote for topics that they would like to learn about things that they would like to see Um, and then we work together as a team to think about the challenges that those particular themed events are going to help solve and what we would need to be able to help solve that so topic speakers and things like that uh, the diversity point is always done at the beginning so we are the only as far as we know conference organizer in the sector that has very clear and transparent edi goals you can see those on our website that's something that we talk about up front and make sure it's weaved in from day one but it is all about collaboration i think it's something that i've mentioned quite a lot we go to our members and ask them for their input post it on social media we send it out to our mailing list because we want ultimately where I'd love to go for fundraising everywhere is for everything to be completely shaped by the people that it's supposed to exist for so you know Simon had the idea of having like the sessions and topics on the website and people can upvote it and then when you know the top voted one then becomes you know part of the conference there's so many other things that we can do to make it more interactive and, and collaborative but we are actually. Kenneth would be offering me a fiver to upvote his. Like you'd be refreshing that every day, wouldn't you? But like we're, we're hiring at the moment as well for for more people to come in and actually give this their direct focus and attention. Because as different parts of the business start to build, we've realised that it is a really important and key part of what we do. So we're actually recruiting a community manager who will go out, listen to the sector have a talent list of brilliant people who are doing amazing things. And then we always approach our speakers and, and ask them to, to come and take part and, of course, offer to pay them. And then we we, we start to, to build it from there. And we partner with people who know more than we do. Mm-hmm. So we have partner conferences uh, like Donna Segal for the arts conference. We had David Burgess for Trust Summit last year. Last year when we did BAME Online, it was, it was Martha, our jobby. So, again, when it comes to collaboration, we're not shy of saying, you know so much more than we do in this particular area. Can you come and help us? And we will pay you uh, and it will be epic. Big deals in fundraising. Nice. And so I guess last question then, we're sat here in five years time. What does fundraising everywhere look like then? I think fundraising everywhere itself will be what it is, that it's a community of fundraisers who is basically there day to day with what they need when they need it. Because I think in five years, you're going to have a brand new fundraiser who's coming into fundraising for the first time and still wants to know how to write a thank you letter or how to make a phone call. You know, that stuff doesn't go away. And so I think the core product will stay the same and we'll just grow from there. But I think there's other kind of niche stuff we want to do around it. You know, I think 
as we build up the library and as we build up the community and the team, I think we can go deeper in depth around trust fundraising and we can go deeper in depth around telephone fundraising and actually build even more of that. So people have more of a niche of what they're saying. Like at the moment, we're trying, we're trying to be a lot for a lot of different people, but as our resources grow, it means we can, we can be a lot for a lot of different people. So I don't think the core product will change. I just think it'll be perhaps bigger and then the stuff going on around it, I think we have some exciting plans, which will be interesting to see. Yeah. I'd really love like a given Tuesday type of approach to fundraising everywhere where every country has its own little hub that can put its own stamp on it. Because we are very UK, Europe, but we understand that the needs of Canadian or, or North American fundraisers is going to be completely different. So we'd love to have teams positioned there who can curate events specific for their needs and, and where they are so that's that's part of my like long-term goal for it and we have different kind of structure goals that I don't want to mention for now that will just make it so much more accessible as well but we're always constantly evolving it to be more accessible uh, to everyone so hopefully we can get to a place where that comes through even more. Nice so look here's the time if anyone hasn't heard of fundraising everywhere Nikki, where should they go to have a look at what you guys do and try it out maybe and, and maybe sign up? Yeah, sure. So you can head to our website, fundraisingeverywhere.com and tell us all of the things that still aren't working on that website. Just going back to that yeah. earlier point of putting stuff out there even when it's not ready. <laughs> but on that website, you can find all of the on-demand sessions of every event that we have been hosting since 2019. You can access those as individual webinars. You can get full-on conferences and you can also see what's coming up next nice should we be giving the do more good boys a code for their yeah, audience should we well let's set one up and then it'll be live by the time this goes out so you use the code do more good what should they get free like their first purchase yeah a free ticket to something yeah or let's do that membership or yeah. what, what do they want there you um, go it's your let's, pitch let's do a month's membership because then they can get everything Ooh. and then they don't have to choose so if you remember you can watch any previous event. You're automatically registered for an upcoming one and you get uh, free coaching and clinic calls. So if you use the Do More Good discount code, you will get one month free for that. How's about that? Wow. Yes. Yeah. This is costing us that. so much money. I'm gonna <laughs> I know. Five, yeah, really we're talking about five years time. time. You could be sunk by then with this kind of <laughs> generosity. <laughs> will, uh, will listeners be able to find Kenneth's presentation where they to do that? Did you say that we could keep it on there, Kenneth? I'm sure there it should be on there. I think this was part of the 12-hour marathon, wasn't it? Back in the yeah, very first yeah, so, yeah. And then, it, and then, didn't didn't James? Didn't you and I do like a a, a podcast yeah. summary oh, kind yes, of thing as well? You did you? You mm-hmm. both made a cameo at our festival, so so That's yeah. Right. In theory, people can access all. Wow. Us. I mean, obviously, we've paid you for that, and we do pay you for any future downloads that comes through. But we've got a little tip jar as well on our website, so if they go on and watch your session, they can actually tip you extra, extra payment pounds. to go towards your castle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So we could, we could do that. Um, but yeah, if you want to host your own virtual event though um, and use the skills and platform that we've developed, uh, then that website's everywhereplus.com. Amazing. Look, thank you both so much for that. I mean, it's, it's as I say, I think everyone, I can speak for everyone in the sector to say you've, you've really provided a service that's just helpful, useful. I know myself from my own experience, I'm sure there's thousands of people who don't have the budgets to kind of get the training and the support but the community that you've built and you know what you two do is is exceptional so thank you and wish you lots of success in the future 
but we're not going to let you go without some quick fire questions that oh, yeah. we always put in at the end, which I think are new since Nikki last had them. At least I hope they are. I was going to say I've forgotten two, about two this. And a half, two and a half years you ago. Did you get these in advance? No, 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 no. No, 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 no. James, go on. I'll let you okay. go. <clears throat> Seeing as Nikki might have heard these before, we'll go with Simon first. All right. So first question. If you could transport back in time and meet your 20-year-old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? I would say go, start medication because everyone, everyone told me medication was bad. You shouldn't go on antidepressants, you know, do everything, go for a walk, drink more water. Starting antidepressants changed my life when I was about 30. And so, yeah, that's my, I think on your 30th birthday, you should be given a prescription. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not for everyone. Seek medical advice, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> don't want to get this thing. But don't don't avoid it because everyone's telling you it's a bad thing. So that's my advice. advice. Wow. Yeah. Nikki, what about you? To, yeah, not worry so much about what other people think and just mm. do you. Mm. Yeah, nice. It's a good one. Okay, second question. Can you tell us about one life hack or a productivity tool or a habit or a skill that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Nikki, we'll go for you first. Take your bloody work apps off your phone. Why have you got them on your phone? Take them off. I do not have my work. Sorry, I got a bit. Look at James's face. I took my work emails off. I took the Slack off. Like the Twitter is off. Because otherwise, you just there's no stop. You wake up in the morning, you're looking at work. You go to bed at night, he's done it. You're looking at work as soon as you go to bed. Honestly, taking that off was the best thing uh, that I have ever, ever done. And do you know what? Nothing's blown up. The company are fine. People are fine. The world is fine. We're still here. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so yeah take take it off and there's still so much more i need to learn on it but that has been like a massive massive thing for me game changes simon come on i'm expecting something good here that's true really, that's really good advice uh, nikki's is but the thing that i always go on about is when i travel i have a spreadsheet now of all the things i need to bring on every trip and so rather than when i go to pack rather than trying to scratch my head to figure out what to pack i look at my list and there is everything i need and and it's just it's gotten rid of all this anxiety of have I forgotten something? What about what am I forgetting? What is am I missing? Now I'm like, no, I know I have everything packed. And that's my that's changed my life. And you can also add to the spreadsheet while you're away. I forgot a yes. plug. I well, that's plug. the truth, is it was list. a work in progress. The first four trips, it was yeah. a work in progress because there was yeah. nothing on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Final question. Simon, we'll start with you. As a podcast that is focused around people doing more good. What's your favourite story or individual you have met on your journey or recently who has done something good for others? Wow. Jeez, Malise, that's big. It's a big one. It's that's big really one. big. Can we, yeah. can we, Nikki, do you have one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm still thinking, can you answer yours first? They addressed it to you first. I don't want to cut in. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's done. I mean, I get loads of. One thing that normally helps people is think recently. Because you meet so many amazing individuals, I'm sure, but there might have been someone in the last few weeks that you had that call with, or you. I haven't met anyone in two years. (laughs) (laughs) We we will also trim this down so that you immediately say somebody's name. Yes, Bob. Yeah, Kevin from that conference. Kevin, Kevin Foreman. Can I cheat and say like a group of people? Because this is just something that came to mind. So I went away. Are you still thinking? Because I'm just going to answer with a group of people anyway, James. If anything that we've learned from my time on this podcast, I just do do it. 
So I went away with a group of friends last week and it was beautiful because, I mean, you know, never got to spend time with them much lately anyway, but everyone contributed to the trip with their own special thing that was unique to their kind of resources or talent. So we had somebody that brought along um, a little gift bag as she works at Lush. There are other beauty locations available and she put together like a little gift bag of what people might need on that weekend and just things that might make them feel more comfortable after being away from each other for so long. A very talented friend who's lurking in the background here that has a cross stitch uh, subscription and she brought along some of those for people to have like mindful time together with there was somebody else that organized the trip south so it was just a lovely way of people kind of pulling together and not necessarily going big and flash and spending lots of money it was just what they already had and taking what they loved and what they were good with and sharing nice. that with other people and I thought that was really beautiful I thought it was nice that Simon muted himself as he added those things to his travel spreadsheet as well <laughs> <laughs> You need a Lush bag and a cross-stitch kit. I'll bring you one. I do. I actually do want some Lush. What did you bring, Nikki? So I was the uh, super organiser. Um, so I booked the location and I also booked for people to get massages. We had a little masseuse come round. So I know that's not a skill that I was doing, but I thought it would be a bit weird if I started massaging people. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, what I, that's what I brought nice. to it. My awesome organisational skills and a little, okay. bit of, little bit of feel good. Nice. So Simon's been ferociously googling away to try and find someone. <laughs> you know, that he's I, was, <laughs> I actually was. I was quickly reading the transcripts of other podcasts. The uh, uh, no, but I did look at my WhatsApp and I realised that one of my oldest friends, Tom, he sent me a message today, and it was just a photo of his food at Wendy's hamburger. You know, Wendy's. So we don't have it in Ireland. When we were little kids, I went to school with him in Hong Kong, and we used to meet up for Wendy's, and it's a big thing now. So if I'm ever in America and I get a Wendy's, I'll send him a photo. And I think I, I can't actually remember what the original question was, but I think I love that that random photo or message in joke with someone and it just totally reconnects you and makes their day. And I love that. So I think that's a real easy do more good. It doesn't cost anything. It only takes a couple of seconds, but texting someone that in joke that you had even if you haven't seen them for 10, 20 years, it's still, it's so funny. I love it. <laughs> if, yeah. If people take nothing from this podcast right now, right now, text your best friend a photo of your dinner. <laughs> yeah. And they'll cry. And yeah. Enjoy. Lovely. Lovely. Okay. Look, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you both so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Nikki, Simon, if anyone wants to find you, you've given the website address, but you guys are on social, right? Nikki, what's your social tags? Yeah. So it's now at Nikki Leah underscore because Nikki Leah was taken. By a wrestler. By a wrestler. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I keep getting DMs from people asking when I'm returning to wrestling. Oh, really? Nikki Bella. So they're like, when are you coming back to wrestling? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe give it a year. It's in one of Simon's clouds somewhere. <laughs> and Simon, what about you? What are you? Uh, I'm all about the Twitter. So at Toast Fundraiser is my main Twitter thing. And I've just jumped on the Twitter spaces um, party, which I'm loving. So every every Friday now I'm hosting a Twitter spaces where we just talk rubbish. So you guys will fit right in. But yeah, fit, <laughs> find me Twitter at Toast Fundraiser. James, any final thoughts? No, I don't want to hold everybody up. It's after Nikki's end of work day and Simon's probably got a shift at the Sweet Factory. So that will call it, we'll call it quits there. All right, nice let's wrap one. it up. Thank you very much. You. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Just before we go, can we ask a favour? We would very much appreciate if you can 
leave us a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast platform. You can also find out more about us on our website at domoregood.uk. And if you'd like to get in touch with either James or myself, you can contact us at contact at domoregood.uk. Let us know how we can improve the show, whether you have a recommendation for a guest or whether you'd like to feature yourself. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good. Thank you.